Hello, all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures. I'm Corey. And I'm Courtney. And this is Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, a true crime show that digs into the dark depths of sinister minds, their menacing crimes, and mistakes left behind, all while sipping on a sinister cocktail masterminded by Corey for each episode. We want to first start out by saying that our sinister cocktails featured for each episode is just to help us lighten the mood a bit on the dark and horrific crimes we cover. And in no way, shape, or form are we trying to make light of the horrific crimes. Please know our hearts go out to the victims, their families and friends, and law enforcement affected by each of the cases we cover. Okay, Corey, what sinister cocktail have you masterminded for our last episode in September surrounding the dark origins of children themes and is also a great segue into spooky season. <laughs> Today I'm calling it the Sinister Mastermind. It's one ounce of gin, a half ounce of vodka, one half ounce of honey lavender syrup, two ounces of mandarin orange juice. You can combine all this in a cocktail shaker with some ice and give it a good shake. Double strain it into a glass of your choice and garnish with the mandarin orange will. And enjoy. And it's really good. It I is really, really, like really good. It. It's very good. It's not sweet, but it's not bitter. Like it's yeah. really well balanced. Good job. It's a little bit of a riff because in Yorkshire, we're going to talk about that today in our podcast. Their big drink over there is a lavender gimlet. It's one of their favorite things. And the gimlet is basically a citrus gin, simple syrup kind of based drink that's very light, very refreshing. So it was kind of fun to do this and have some fun with that. It's really good. Good job. Thanks. So all you strange and unusual creatures, pour yourself a cocktail and settle in for this sinister true crime. The sinister Yorkshire schoolmaster. Believe us, you're gonna need it. Dun 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 dun. (laughs) (laughs) York is a walled medieval city in North Yorkshire, England that was founded by the ancient Romans in 71 AD. The city, rich with history, has quite a bloody one, suffering through the Black Death Plague, to the heads of enemies being displayed on spikes at the city's entrance to being bombed in World War II. Yet York is embedded with even more sinister secrets and purportedly laced with the most ghost hauntings in all of Europe. Such a ghost haunting is that of the children who were murdered at the York Industrial Ragged School in the mid-19th century by the schoolmaster George Prim. So, did George Prim go insane from his guilt of killing his school children, or was he really haunted by the children ghost of his victims? Oh, dun 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 dun. I definitely think he probably was hunted. Hunted? Oh, sorry. Haunted. <laughs> hunted. He, he, was, he was hunted and he was haunted by children <laughs> that he killed. So it kind of deserved it, in my opinion. I mean, what's interesting about York is that you're right. York has some great background on just sinisterness all the way around with, I mean, from the Romans stemming all the way through to World War II. What's really interesting is the displaying of heads of the enemies on spikes. I really think that's an interesting. Anybody's ever seen Braveheart? <laughs> You know, it's an interesting thing to, to chop somebody's head off and send it to your enemy and be like, ha, ha, ha. You know, and that's kind of what they did here. A very interesting, and I'm sure it's laced with ghosts and spirits because there's so many people that have lost their lives there in York. So a cool place to probably go and have some fun at. So can I go off on a side note? You can, Court. So this summer, I went to York. <laughs> and that is where I discovered this actual tell. And by the way, if you're ever in York, you must go on the original ghost tour. Don't go on any of the other ones. It's the original ghost tour of York. It is amazing. That's where I learned about this story. Nice. See, when you go out and do your in-person research, it's always fun. It is. I feel like we did just heard a jingle of so some sort. I. I think our ghost in here is having some fun with us. I thought, is it not your phone? It's not my phone. It's not my phone. No. <laughs> That's weird. I just heard a jingle. I thought maybe it was a bracelet or something, but then I was like, I just took off my bracelet. You gave me so my other bracelet wouldn't. Nothing. Crazy. Let's talk more about York. Here we go. This is going to be fun. (laughs) Okay. 
Meanwhile, back over here, now the York kids are coming after us. <laughs> Jingling bells. That's so weird. <laughs> what, what's in this drink, Court? What... <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just vodka and gin. I must have put some else in there. Oh, my God. Sorry. I have full on. Made you need another <laughs> sip of your drink, huh? <laughs> Carrying on. Carrying on. In York, England, during the mid-19th century, the rundown area of Bedern, just off of Good Ramgate, was occupied with slums and warehouses. Crime and prostitution became synonymous with the area, and those that had any sense avoided it. A ghostly tale of children is rumored to haunt the ancient cobblestones of the area. An orphanage workhouse was established in the vicinity, which was known as the York Industrial Ragged School. The so-called school is drenched in a dark and sinister history. It was a place where hundreds of orphan children were rounded up and kept against their will. I'm just saying with a name like Ragged in it, <laughs> I feel like this is a setup for failure from the get-go. I would agree with that. Nothing good I'm is sending, coming of this. I'm, I'm sending you off to boarding school, York Industrial Rag to School. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> I'm really going to thrive there. The children were forced to work in squalid conditions, with many of the children dying shortly after their arrival at the school. Ragged schools existed in the 19th century, which were English and Scottish institutions maintained through charities that gave educational and other various services to poor children, such as clothing, religious instruction, and industrial training. I'm just going to say to our listeners, if you have kids, read them this story. Let them listen to this podcast. <laughs> when they complain about having to pick their socks up in the bathroom off the floor, be like, you got it good, dude. <laughs> you could be here. This is where you could have grown up in, okay? A ragged industrial school over here in England. No shit. <laughs> These types of schools' primary focus was to give poor children a valuable skill, thus making them productive in society. Well, I mean, I guess the concept is good, except for they were fucking horrid. Yeah, and they were just tortured and tormented all the way through. Yep. All the ragged schools were allied in 1844 with the founding of the Ragged School Union in London. They rapidly died out after 1870 with the introduction of national mandatory education, though a few remained into the 20th century. The York Industrial Ragged School was opened in February of 1848, largely due to the efforts of Mr. J.W. Locking and funded through the church's local charities. The premises of the school consisted of a separate boys' and girls' school rooms, each with an open yard, a boys' workshop, two washing and changing rooms, a kitchen, lodging for the children, and an apartment for the schoolmaster. I mean, it doesn't sound that bad when you just saying, saying this, like that, but it's... Mm -mm. I mean, the schoolmaster's got his own place? Come on yep. now. <laughs> I bet it has hot water. <laughs> I bet it does. Oh, man, the, the torture that went on in that place. Scary. The local church hired parish beadle George Prim as a schoolmaster who was reportedly a drunk. Prim's job as schoolmaster was to keep the street clear of orphans, wafts, and strays. These children were rounded up and placed in the school. So like he, was kidnapping. Like, he was like the fucking children dog catcher of the 19th <laughs> century. You see a stray out there, kid, you just go call the dog catcher. He'll come pick him up and take him to a school. That's terrible. Yeah, it is. Oh, my gosh. I mean, kind of honestly, really a, you know, serial killer's kind of paradise, if you think about it. I mean, <laughs> you wanted to be sinister and do horrible things to children. This was the place to be, apparently. I would agree with that. Yeah. Also, can I say the fact that he's a drunk? That's probably not the best person to pick for a I'm fucking schoolmaster. I'm just wondering, Court, did he put that on his resume when he applied for the head schoolmaster? I'm a drunk. Professional drunk. <laughs> Professional drunk. <laughs> Leave your kids with me. Don't worry. I'll take care of all them strays for you. I mean, come Very on. <laughs> Seriously? Like, I mean, did he put this on his resume? I'm just saying. I'm surprised he didn't have him making like hooch in the outhouse or something. <laughs> <laughs> and his own distillery going on in the outhouse. <laughs> 
The York Industrial Ragged School was named in reference to how poor the children were and simply provided needy children with a skill such as a workman or domestic servant. The younger boys were engaged in oakum picking. And by the way, if you don't know what this is, because I had to look it up, it's a fiber that's actually used to make fishing nets and stuff. Yes, it is. It was very prominent back then in that area because they didn't have ready-made line that you could go buy at the store. It was something you had to make handmade. So that's really cool. And if you're wondering why I know what oat making picking is, because Courtney's husband and I like to watch Jeopardy. And it was actually a Jeopardy question when we were all eating dinner together. And that's why I know what it is, because he looked it up because we did not know what it was at that time. <laughs> That's why y'all are such good friends. <laughs> yeah. We were watching Jeopardy and we didn't know what that was. And we looked it up. You and my husband have this weird fascination with trivia. Jeopardy and, and Wheel of Fortune. Yes. And your husband and I have the same palate for food and drinks. You I do. mean, it's like the perfect way of being all four of us being best friends. Yep. <laughs> we're more than best friends. We're family all the way. That is true. <laughs> The younger boys were also involved in net making and knitting, while the older boys set to work clog making, tailoring, gardening, and cobbling. Now the girls learned needlework and the older ones in rotation assisted in the kitchen and were trained in domestic skills. The orphan children were provided three meals a day at the cost of a half pence per child. A savings account was established for the children who were encouraged to allow their money to remain there until enough money had been obtained to purchase something useful like clothing. Uh, what the fuck? You have to buy their own clothing? They're orphans? Like, that's so fucked up. You have to work for the money. And I, I guarantee you that money was not sitting there waiting on those kids. No. I guarantee you that was, you know, spent by their headmaster, the drunk guy. Yeah, it was. Some pub down the street got a lot of that money. I'm just saying. <laughs> Could that be the reason why he killed the kids off? Because he spent their money and couldn't give it back to them. I've solved the case, court! <laughs> After all these years. <laughs> now, of course, the local church paid Prim handsomely for each child housed at the school. A year after its foundation, the York Industrial Ragged School housed 90 children ranging from the ages of 5 to 11, with the numbers doubling in the winter as opposed to the summer months, which I can see because if you've been to England, it's pretty fucking cold in it the winter time. It is very cold. But I find it funny that he wouldn't take anybody under five. They had to wipe their own ass, apparently. Yep. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't doing babies. You got to be a little bit self-sufficient there. <laughs> I can't do babies. He'd actually have to care for them. Yeah. Uh-uh. They'd be thrown in the river. Yep. <laughs> like the Egyptians used to do. It's probably what he should have fucking done with the bodies instead of doing what he does. Okay, yeah, we'll get, there. we'll get there. As the greedy man Prim was, he rented the children out to work on local farms and market stalls and even as chimney sweepers. I think they were singing Chim Chimney, Chim Chimney, Chim Chim Tree. One of my favorite books growing up in this grade school was about a chimney sweep little boy that was like a chimney sweep. I can't remember what its name was. Jingle Django, I think is his name. A sweep. A sweep. These sweet drinks are getting to you. Yeah, they are. My lips are getting heavy. But it was a really great book. I think it's called Jingo Django. And it was a it was a book about a kid that he literally was like what you're describing. And he became a chimney sweep to try to make money. And he was an orphan. So really great book. So it's really funny that that was a true way of life back then for kids who were orphaned. That would be your favorite book back then. <laughs> it was. Well, it was also because I'm severely dyslexic. So it was like the first book I ever read. <laughs> I was really thrilled to get through it as a fourth grader. It's just like so proud of myself. <laughs> oh, love you. I love you too. All I thought was, was Mary Poppins when they were running around talking about the chimneys. <laughs> Broke my heart. Aww. My kids were not interested. We would have been friends, Corey. We would have been friends together. Yes, we would have been. Now, the school was in fact like that of a slave camp. The living conditions of the children inside the school were far worse. 
The school was filthy and cold, which saw many children die of starvation or disease. This was partly due to Prim's greediness and pocketing the children's earned wages, spending them on himself instead of providing even the barest of necessities for the orphan's survival. Boom. Told you, that pub down the street got all that money those orphans were saving up for clothes. Yep. He's like, here's some burlap sacks. Good luck. <laughs> what you get out of it. I doubt they even had that. When a child died, the church would give them a Christian burial and cross their name off the school list. Hence, Pym would lose his allowance for the dead child. So to ensure that he lost no further coin, Prim began not to report the constant deaths of the children to the church, hiding and burying their dead bodies within the grounds of the school. First fucking mistake. <laughs> yeah, big mistake there. Number two, you're just asking to get haunted later. I'm just saying. No shit. That's bad juju all around. <laughs> I think you're sleeping on top of the kids you killed. Just saying. They're, they're probably going to come back and pull your toes in the middle of the night. <laughs> or ring some bells. <laughs> No shit. I'm so weird. If it happens again, I, we're like, we're stopping recording and I'm leaving. We're gonna be like, nope. Courtney's like, I need the priest. Can you get the priest, Corey, please? I'm not even Catholic, but go get the priest. <laughs> <laughs> we need an exorcism stat. <laughs> However, England can be very brutal during its winter months with the ground freezing. As you can imagine, this is not an ideal scenario for attempting to dig a hole to bury a body in. Nope, it's not. Nope. <laughs> You're going to need a pickaxe, <laughs> not a shovel. Not a shovel. Nope. So what did Prim do? He began hiding the children's dead corpses in and around the school, including placing them in the walls and cubbies, placing one small boy's body in a cabinet in the basement. He would keep the children's bodies hidden within the school until spring arrived and the grounds defrosted. But as summer months began to roll around, the sweet, rotten smell of death would fill the school's halls of the children's decomposing bodies that Prim had yet been unable to bury. Prim himself could not stand the decay that surrounded him. Uh, I can imagine not, because that's a terrible smell, according to Corey. Oh, yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> Just saying, it is so far foul, it almost is sweet to the nose when you smell a rotting body. That's the best way I can describe it. It almost has a sweet tinge to it because it becomes so foul. It's just craziness. I'm not going to lie, I've never smelt it, but I almost kind of want to because I would really <laughs> think it'd be kind of cool to discover a dead body. <laughs> I mean, not anybody that I knew. We're going to go take a stroll down on Leopard Street Court. I'll let you discover a dead body. <laughs> I'm totally putting this on camera for our viewers when Courtney smells the first one. <laughs> nope, never mind. <laughs> it's all fun and games till the smell hits your nose. What does your husband say? Till it crosses the lips. Till it crosses the lips. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's all over. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Over an eight-year span that the school was open, Prim got away with the careless disposal of at least 13 children's lifeless bodies. Over the years, Prim began to suffer from paranoia, something that is suspected to be brought on by his own guilty conscience. In his paranoia, Prim reported a strange change in the atmosphere of the school and claimed that he could hear noises such as wailing, tapping, and scratching. Oh my god, I love this. This is such a Freud moment. This is literally his conscience and his brain attacking him for what he's done. Straight up. That's exactly what this is. If you go back and you're looking to take a deep dive into your psyche here, this is so what happens. If you've ever read Edgar Allan Poe, it's the same kind of thing, like the ticking of the clock, that kind of stuff. It's just literally the psyche of your mind playing tricks on you. And it's just your conscious coming back because you know you did something wrong and you're totally dealing with it and you're trying to bury it. And this is what happens. You start to hear, feel, see things that you would never normally deal with in your life because you've done something so bad that your conscious just can't handle it. I don't understand why he didn't fucking leave. <laughs> 
I would have been like, I'm out. Fucking peace. Where would he have to go? I mean, think about it, Court. Where could he go? I mean, it's not like he had a lot of prospects. <laughs> Local town drunk. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, outside of running a ragged school. <laughs> that's the only thing that was really going to do well with his resume. That's true. When the number one quality is a drunk of the town. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I feel like he's not getting a lot of job offers. <laughs> As his paranoia grew, Pram turned further to the bottle for comfort, but it did little to drown out the children's screams of terror. I mean, this is something that really, really happens. And me working as a probation officer for years, it was daily interviews of criminals, literally. And we would actually kind of address this part of their psyche of having them to come to terms with what they've done. We found that it helped. Research showed that it helped. They came to terms. That's why you have AA meetings. It's why you have Narcotics Anonymous meetings, you know, sex addiction meetings, people that come together and make you own up to it because it actually makes you start to address that part of your, your psyche and your brain that you try to suppress and not have to deal with it, what you've done wrong. A lot of my probationers that I would talk to on a daily basis with whatever they did, because I've dealt with murderers and sex offenders who have molested little children all the way down to somebody who got caught smoking pot on the beach. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've had the realm of them. It was really interesting to really start taking that deep dive into their psyche and make them come to terms with what they did. And they had the hardest time saying it and, and having to come to terms with it. And then when they did, it was finally like a little light switch in their brain. And they were like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. I am terrible. I am scary. I maybe should have went to prison. I heard that a lot of times. Maybe I should be in prison. I shouldn't be out, that kind of stuff. So it's very interesting how that part of the psyche gets addressed in this case because they didn't have that back then for him. They didn't even know what he was doing. You know, kids were just disappearing, but they weren't getting wiped off the list. So he was still getting paid for it. But his own torment, internal torment of this kind of stuff, hearing the screams of terror, hearing the tapping, the wallowing, all that kind of stuff really tormented him until, you know, his death. You know, your psyche is a powerful thing and it can really, really affect you when you've done something so sinister and heinous like this. I would agree with that. Prim began telling the staff at the industrial ragged school and the locals of the town about the noises that he was plagued by at the school. But of course, no one took him seriously and blamed his crazy hearings on his drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have too. I mean, we, we, we just heard a jingle and I don't know where it came from. <laughs> We're drinking over here. So. I feel Shit like he might happen. I feel like he wasn't far fetched on that. <laughs> We're hearing bells. We're only on the first drink. No shit. <laughs> Maybe I should have backed off on the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, by the way, these drinks have a lot of alcohol in them. They are strong today. I'm already feeling a little heat on the bottom of my chin. Me too. <laughs> and I was getting hot and I already turned it on the AC to 69. <laughs> 69. <laughs> 69. I'm like a middle school boy. <laughs> <laughs> Those drinks are strong. Ooh, they got something. It must be that mandarin orange juice. <laughs> Before long, Prim's insane ramblings reached the church who decided to investigate the school. The church was horrified by the state of the school and closed it down. I just want to say this is probably his second mistake in yeah. rambling to everybody about this. Well, when you're drunk and you're down there telling them that, you know, you're healing, wailing and wallering of children, screaming in terror. I mean, I feel like somebody's going to be like, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? I mean, you know, me and you've been to some bars around town court. If anybody was sitting at the bar being like, I hear children wailing and screaming in terror, I'd be like, bitch, you called out one hurry. I was like, I think we need a second out on that one. <laughs> this one needs a, what's it called? A welfare check. Bring bring somebody hurry. <laughs> Run. Somebody's conscience is finally caught up to him. That is not, Court, you would not do that. You'd be like, really? Tell me fucking Oh, more. I would. I would be like, Courtney, you sit over there on the end of the thing. And when I give you the cue, you call the police. I got to talk to this guy. You did <laughs> totally. that correctly because I'd be like, bitch, I'm not sitting over here. <laughs> no. I'm way over here by the 
exit. <laughs> Corey's got her cell phone by the exit. She's like, give me the nod. I'm calling. We're out. <laughs> the car running. I'm over here. So tell me more. What children are, are welling? Do they have faces? Do you see them? Do you know them? Corey, you'd be like, did you kill these people? <laughs> did you kill these kids? I mean, is that what's wrong with your conscience? Is that why you're dealing with stuff like this? Oh, yeah. We'd have so much fun to court. <laughs> I'm telling you, we really would. We should take this thing on a road trip. <laughs> Going from town to town, taking cold mysteries and talking to the town drunks. Oh, my God. We'd be so good at this. It's our next podcast. <laughs> it's our next podcast. We're hitting the road this summer. <laughs> Going to every tavern and pub we can find and talking to the town drunks. Hit us up. We'd like to know where we need to stop. <laughs> there you go. Let us know. <laughs> now, remember the body of the small boy who was placed in the cabinet in the basement? He was found by the church officials and said to have almost been turned into an oozy mush that gushed out once the cabinet door was open. Yeah, I really don't know how they didn't smell that. I know. I'm telling you right now, dude, it's, it's awful. Oh, I'm sure the kid smelled it. To not, not know that is what's crazy. Well, that's a, I don't understand how the staff working there did not notify authorities to seriously. Well, I think back then, too, you had so much issues where, you know, people's feces and different things were being dumped in the street. And it was just a not nice smelling area anyway, because, you know, we, they didn't have the public sewer system like they do now that really took care of that. You know, it wasn't until after the plague that they realized, hey, it's our sewer system that's causing the issues, getting rid of our waste in the middle of the street and people walking through it, people taking it home with them. I mean, that's the kind of thing, cars driving by and splashing it up on their faces and their clothing. You know, that that's really so unsanitary. And I think it was at that point when they started turning around and saying, hey, we got to do something better than just throwing your shit and your piss out in the street. I think that's why they probably didn't realize that what they were smelling because it smelled awful over there anyway. This is the 20s though. Yeah. They had fucking indoor plumbing by the 20s? Well, no, well, really. They didn't, t- not, I would say the 1890s is when they first started getting indoor plumbing. The 1920s, they had indoor plumbing. Well, maybe, maybe not. It just depended, especially in York. It wasn't like it was London. You're talking about a kind of country town that That's wasn't true. part of London. I mean, things took a while to get to those out. And there's still places in Scotland and Ireland and England that use outhouses. I, I mean, know there's places in Mexico. It's a hole in the floor. Yeah, Mexico is a very, very good example of that. There's still places where that's still something that's prominent that happens because they don't have the city mast and the sewer systems to bring it in and to deal with it. So I think Queen Victoria was, her husband was the first one to ever have bathrooms put in Buckingham Palace. There was not even bathrooms in Buckingham Palace. crazy. When they first built it, he went in and put a water, they called them water closets, but he went in and put bathrooms in there and it would go through a system like pipes and go down into, literally into the ground, into the water supply. So then you have a whole other issue of your water supply getting tainted with, of course, your own sewage so i guess i'm calling bathrooms water, water closets closet. water closets you're I welcome like, there's i'm gonna my, go to the water closet there's my education for the week right there for you water <laughs> closets i got a wrinkle on my brain <laughs> george prim who is believed to be mad was admitted to the york lunatic asylum where he stayed for the rest of his life which wasn't long after four months of incarceration and being tortured by the screams of desperate children george prim committed suicide by hanging himself In a suicide note, he complained of the wellings and screams of the dead children that tortured him in his cell. Again, just such a interesting look into the human psyche. And, you know, Edgar Allan Poe hit it on the nail with some of the stuff that he wrote. I mean, he was also a very tormented soul himself. And this is just a really deep dive into somebody's psyche. George Prim allowed these kids to die in just squalor and just nastiness and didn't care. I don't think that he was necessarily a terrible serial killing person, but I do think that he allowed himself to just not care. And that caught up with him after a while, because at the end of the day, your psyche is still what your psyche is. 
I don't think George Prim was a sociopath or a psychopath at all. I think I he was just either. a drunk who didn't care and got put in a position where he probably shouldn't have been in the first place, looking over children. And they were the lower class of the whole society back then, right? Orphan children. I mean, you couldn't get any lower than that. <laughs> I agree with that. You, you really couldn't. So for him, I think that that just tormented him until he finally hung himself and killed himself because, and can you imagine being put in an asylum back in that time? It would have been terrible. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that was a terrible way to live. I would Somebody you know, who wasn't crazy would go crazy there. Exactly. He was just a drunk that did stupid things and didn't care, but he was wasn't an asylum-based kind of person. And him going mad, yeah, him going mad over his own conscience of killing kids. Absolutely. Agreed. Today, where the once York Industrial Ragged School stood is now modern apartments. Paranormal activity was thought to have faded over time, but it made a resurgence when the area began erecting apartments on the site. Did the building of the apartment awaken those poor souls of the children who face such a grim death at the hands of Prim? I'm going to say maybe. <laughs> I feel like they're like, don't build on top of me. I'm still here. I'm going to mess with you all the time. And you hear about this a lot. Like, tell you about my favorite place in New Orleans, which was an orphanage that burned down. And, you know, there's still accounts of kids running up and down the hallway, laughing, giggling throughout the middle of the night, pulling up people's toes, slamming doors, that kind of stuff. It's all over the place. And I think because these these are restless souls, these little guys, you know, were taken to early in life and they really don't know what to do. And it's a torment of somebody's psyche too. I mean, that's a big thing. And I know it sounds crazy. And I know I've said a lot about it today, but your psyche can really be a torment to you if you're not careful. Think about if you've ever done something in your life where, I mean, not murdered somebody, but you've ever done something in your life that you're just, nobody really knows about like your deepest, darkest secret. Like nobody really knows about it, but you did it and it was wrong and it just eats away at you. And sometimes you even get mad like me or other parents get mad at their children for doing something that they did. And they're like, oh, I've never told anybody about that, but don't do it again kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think that that's really the part of the psyche that gets unlocked with these people who do terrible things and it just torments them for the rest of their life. I would agree with that. Those who visit York and tour the Bedern area today have spoken of feeling their clothing or bags being tugged as they walk through the Bedern Arch. Some people have claimed to hear the laughter of the children's souls who perished there, while others claim to have heard the screams of terror. So, Corey, do you think that Prim was actually haunted by the ghost of the children that he killed? Or do you think he was crazy with guilt? Which I think you think he was crazy with guilt. Yeah, I'm going to go with crazy with guilt. <laughs> That's a whole nother like, podcast of whether or not spirits exist or not. <laughs> I absolutely do think that, you know, of course, spirits still walk the earth. There's still people who are plagued with issues with their own psyche. So, But in this case, I think it was definitely he was tormented by his own psyche. Like He knew what he did. He knew he was wrong for doing it. He knew he put these poor children through just a terrifying part of their life and ultimately ended in their death. I think that tortures his soul until the very day he died and probably still tortures his soul now. I would agree with that. This is a really good one, Court. Did you like this one? I did. A lot of good history here and a lot of, uh, of insight into what life was like back in that time period in England. I would not have done well. I mean, I'm just glad he didn't put the kids' heads on spikes in front of his school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been. I mean, yeah. I'm just glad he didn't do that. But, you know, yeah. Very tortured soul here. And I'm, you know, I can't be upset that he met with a good demise. <laughs> well, as always, stay, stay strange, strange and unusual. And unusual. We'll be back next week with another cocktail and a new tale of sinister minds, reminiscing crimes, and mistakes they left behind. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and download us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite show. Want the recipe to try Corey's Sinister Cocktail from today's episode? Or have any constructive feedback or true crime stories you would like to hear us cover? Or even Sinister Cocktail recipes for us to try? Email us at SinisterCrimesAndCocktails at gmail.com. 
Visit our website, www.sinistercrimesandcocktailspodcast.com, Facebook page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, and our Instagram page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails. Love what you heard and want to help support our show or donate to our Sinister Cocktail Fund? You can donate to our cash app at money sign Sinister Crimes, all one word, and we will give you a shout out on our next episode and which fund you donate to. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.